Hey everybody, what is going on? This is your boy Christian Israel and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. This is a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all. Happy Monday, everybody. How are you doing? Did you have a wonderful weekend? This is episode 82 and I have got a bombshell interview for you. I am interviewing for you guys Adam O'Brien, who is the founder and CEO of Bitcoin Solutions in, yes, Canada. This guy is a Bitcoin maxi, which is awesome to have. Make sure every type of person gets on the show. But more importantly, he's been in this space since the beginning, and he has been pushing crypto to the masses, which is awesome. And he is a believer. So we will be jumping in that interview today. And that's what I'm going to talk. Just in case you're curious, his website is BitcoinSolutions.ca. And before we jump into this video, I just want to remind you guys that we will be having a live stream tonight. We are going to talk about cash and crypto tonight. Jumping in, are we going to a cashless society? That is the discussion tonight. So without further ado, let's go ahead and jump on into today's video. Hey everybody, what is going on? This is your boy Christian Israel and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. This is a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation. Guys, I have something special for you today. I have my friend here, Adam O'Brien, who is the founder and president of Bitcoin Solutions all the way from Canada. And I know I have a lot of Canada followers, so I think you guys will really enjoy this. So let's welcome Adam here. Hey, Adam, how are you doing today? My man, I'm good. How are you? Oh, I'm doing wonderful, man. I'm happy to see you. I'm happy to have you. You are a presence. I see you smiling through the camera. I can feel it. And I have to point it out right here. Uh, we've already discussed this. You are a believer in Jesus Christ, and I am happy to have you here. And I see the spirit coming through you. So I just really appreciate you being with me today. Thanks, man. No, thanks so much for having me on. I'm uh, looking forward to chatting. Awesome. So for people who don't know about you, or maybe people who do know about you, why don't you just give us a little background on yourself? Yeah, sure. So um, I started Bitcoin Solutions in 2013. I uh, had, a, had a very sketchy experience buying my first Bitcoin, like many people in 2013 probably did. Um, and I decided that, uh, you know, I wanted to be at least a little bit less sketchy than, than that guy. So I started kind of buying and selling Bitcoin. And then um, we launched our first Bitcoin ATM, actually the first uh, Bitcoin ATM in Alberta. Um, we, we were able to deploy in February of 2014. And then from there, we kind of just grew and grew and grew. And today... Um, we have a fleet of just over 60 machines across Canada, and we're actually poised to become uh, the first publicly traded Bitcoin ATM company uh, in the world, which is super exciting. So we've been working really hard for the last year or so, um, getting everything in place and all of the infrastructure set up and talking to the lawyers and the accountants and all the rest of it. And um, hopefully by the end of this year, uh, you know, users will be able to kind of purchase our stock on the venture exchange here in Canada, the Toronto Stock Exchange Venture, and uh, gain exposure to, to Bitcoin uh, through registered vehicles. So we're very, very excited about that. Well, first off, congratulations. I was gonna get to that. I'm glad you brought that up because <laughs> you know we're here, we're here and here in the States, right? We're hearing Coinbase talking about possible IPOs, XRA, Ripple Labs talking about possible IPOs, right? And it sounds like you're gonna be the first in the space to get to that direction. And we don't hear that here. So 
that's a pretty big deal. How did that come about? How did you go from, you know, because Bitcoin in a sense is people look at it as a hedge against finance 1.0. And so I call equities market finance 1.0, cryptocurrency 2.0. So how did you come to that, uh, that realization? Like this is our next step for our company to do an IPO. Yeah, I think that um, where it stemmed from was uh, in 2017, obviously, witnessing that bull run and seeing just how desperate the retail investor was to gain exposure to Bitcoin through that registered vehicle was just mind-blowing. Um, my favorite example is there was like a Long Island iced tea company in New York, and they changed their name, just their name, no new prospectus, nothing, to the Long Island blockchain iced tea company, and their stock just like skyrocketed uh obviously like in a pump and dump that's like a huge scam and, and and that's like quite a bit different but um you know what that showed me was that people were really really interested in bitcoin and blockchain and kind of learning about the industry but um the industry is still pretty new man and 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 ultimately um telling someone like this is your private key don't lose it or all your money's gone is is quite a terrifying um sentiment so i think that you know what our company will do is give them exposure to bitcoin and ultimately we make money when, when Bitcoin, you know, is volatile, which is like all the time. And so we'll hopefully have profits to back up that exposure as well and creating a really, really nice kind of investment vehicle for those that are desired to kind of have exposure to Bitcoin. Awesome. So we know that you have the first Bitcoin ATM machine, right? So I remember the first time I saw one was in Austin, Texas. I went with a friend, right? I turn and I, I go to watch. First off, I'm do I'm filming all around downtown to watch bats fly. I don't know if you've ever been to Austin, Texas. It's a big tech area. Then I go eat at night and I show a friend. I go, look, Bitcoin machine. And this was like 2016, 2017. Nice. And I was like, and people were like, what's that? I said, oh no, you don't even know what that is. So, you know, I, I know that's a way to get in there. So for someone who doesn't know what a Bitcoin ATM is, uh, or specifically yours, how does it work? Do I have an open an account? Do I just slide my credit card? Tell me about it. Yeah, man, great question. So uh, to your point, like, especially back then, no one knew what it was, right? And, and, and now today, you know, everyone does. It's really interesting to see how that's evolved. Um, but a Bitcoin ATM, uh, I see them as, as giant on-ramps to the industry. So they will forever be the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin because they are by nature non-custodial. And what that means is at no time is somebody else kind of, you know, in control of that money. And, and, and so what we've seen time and time again is up here in Canada, especially if anyone knows about the big Quadriga scandal that's been happening for the last two years, Einstein Exchange, uh, earlier back Mount Gox, you know, these are, these are custodian exchanges. These are, these are places, giant trading platforms that are holding everyone else's money kind of in trust without any reason to be trusted. And so what the ATM is, is you go there with a pre-set up wallet. So you have to have your own Bitcoin wallet already set up. We do not by design print wallets because at that point we would have access to your private key and that's not what you want, right? You do not want us in any way to know uh, your private key because then, you know, it's a liability and, and, and that would be not, it's not what Bitcoin is designed for. So you come up with your own wallet, you push start, you scan that wallet, you put your money in and then you push send. Um, you know, our goal is, is from walking up to the machine to actually walking away from the machine, uh, you're, you know, 10 seconds, you can just walk up, scan it, put your money in and then, and then, and then walk away. Um, and it, it's, it's truly is instant. Um, it's, it's like I said, the fastest and safest way to buy Bitcoin. So a couple of things you just said that sparked my, and we'll get into this Bitcoin XRP discussion in a little bit, right? And we talked about this pre, but what you just said is 
the transaction takes about 10 seconds um, to, to do this. Now that, that piques my interest. Cause you know, right now the argument is how long, you know, I mean, compared, not, we're not comparing it to the banking system compared to crypto to do a Bitcoin right. transaction is what they, what, what someone called dinosaur technology. Right. But you're telling me that I ha- I can take my phone, walk up to your ATM, put my credit card and scan the Bitcoin comes onto my wallet and I'm done and out of there in probably two to three minutes at most. Yeah, and, and so let me be clear. Um, the transaction and finality are very, very different. Um, so finality is what you're talking about, I believe, which is like confirmations and seeing that. But when I say a transaction, I mean something that's actually, you know, the coins have moved servers, the coins have moved wallets, there's something on the blockchain. Um, whether or not it's confirmed is kind of what's touching on the finality um, viewpoint. But and, and again, it's actually only cash um, at the ATMs. And the reason for that is because of that finality sake. Cash is is final instantly, right? The second I give my dollar bill to you, uh, it's final because there's no way that I can, I mean, hey, um, well, you look pretty tough yourself, but I, I am obviously very tough looking. And and so so I could probably come and like rough you up a little bit and take that dollar back. Um, but at the end of the day, you know, it would be, it would be an intervention, right? Whereas with a credit card, they have up to like 90 days to actually reverse that payment. So, um, the problem with that is obviously fraud, right? If somebody goes, even if, even if it, if it's their credit card, they could just go and say, Hey, you know, uh, I bought that, but it actually wasn't me that bought it. I didn't authorize that payment. Maybe Bitcoin's dropped in value. Maybe they just want free Bitcoin. Um, I mean, who doesn't want free Bitcoin, I guess. And so, so that's why we only take cash is because of that finality sake. And to your point, you know, a Bitcoin transaction, it could take you know, minutes or in some cases hours to reach that finality state, um, which is, is obviously kind of probably your, your pro XRP, uh, uh, justification. (laughs) (laughs) Um, so, okay. So before I get into regularity or, uh, regulatory clarity, would you suggest people use a certain wallet with your, with the, with the Bitcoin ATM that you have, you know, can I use Bitcoin.com wallet? Can I use atomic wallet, MCO wallet, my ledger? What can I use to scan? Cause I can't scan with my ledger directly. Right. So is there something that you might suggest for people who would do that? Um, no. And, and the reason is because we want to make sure that you're as comfortable, but what you need, and this is just strictly what you need is a Bitcoin address QR code. So literally on your ledger and, and, and frankly, um, I'm a, I am a fan personally of hardware wallets. I think hardware wallets are a fantastic um, place to store your coins and to keep them safe, where I believe mobile wallets are a great place to kind of, um, you know, do transactions and have some pocket money, right? You don't have all your cash in your pocket. You have a couple, couple bucks in your pocket to buy ice cream or to, to do, you know, to play around with, and then you have your bank account. And so a hardware wallet, which would be your bank account, uh, you could actually, you know, request your address on your ledger wallet and print that paper off. And as long as it's printed in a high enough quality, you'd be able to scan that right at the machine and it would be able to send coins straight to your ledger. So that's kind of, um, alternatively, um, of course you could download a wallet. We've been using mycelium. Um, I really have been taking a liking to rise wallet lately. So, um, you go to risewallet.com or in the app store or Google play or whatever. And then it just acts like a, like a regular wallet, right? Non-custodial. And that's something I can't stress enough is like, you know, we talked about Coinbase earlier. Coinbase is, is a custodian. They can tell you when you can or cannot remove your funds. What you want and what, what everyone should want is a non-custodial wallet where they have free and easy access to their funds. 
Awesome. You actually led me right into the next thing. So I was talking with uh, Bala Hamoud, right, of Index recently, and he said that he is working directly with, regulator, uh, with regulators since its inception. Now, there's been a lot of issues here in the States with Coinbase recently, right? $200 million has been withdrawn from the Coinbase platform because they are now selling their information to the IRS and the DEA specifically uh, to be regulatory compliant, right? And so I imagine a transaction for me to walk up and use a Bitcoin machine, there's got to be some, and you're going IPO, so there's got to be some regulatory clarity, specifically what's going on in Canada now, we know that. How do you fit into this system? Um, do you have to give, and, and, you know, I don't know if you can answer this question or not, okay? Do you have to give away your customer's information, who comes, camera set up? How does this all work? Because um, we know that the government's really watching this space right now. Yeah, they are. And, and, and I think, um, you know, the government's doing their job to protect society, not necessarily the individuals, but to protect society. And so they have an opinion on what's right. And of course, well, everyone has an opinion on what's right. Um, so I think that ultimately what the regulations do is they, is they give some, some uh, legitimacy to the space. They allow users and people that might not be interested in the space right now um, to see like, oh, hey, the government's looking into it. it. It must be real, right? There must be some value here. And so that's kind of, that's a nice thing. Um, personally, I think sell, like, like giving data away uh, is a very, very fine line between what's right and what's wrong, I think. I think that um, the way that we as a society are so frivolous with our data is very, very foolish. And um, you know, so I don't think many people are going to be too, too concerned about that, but we're going to realize very quickly that the data that we are giving away um, is going to be used against us. And so, so I'm a big believer in making sure that uh, we enable um, privacy as much as is legal. And, and in doing that, you know, we have a fantastic compliance officer. Uh, he was involved actually in lots of the uh, quadriga scandal and, and, and kind of getting to the bottom of what happened. And, and um, uh, he's been great for us. And so we have a full-fledged compliance policy. We are working with FinTrack. Uh, FinTrack is our version of FinCEN um, up here. And, and so we're, we're what's called an MSB registered company or a money service business registered company. And, and, and we have the um, obligation to report suspicious transactions and we have a policy that states what a suspicious transaction might be. So, um, you know, there's a, there's a plethora of different kind of scenarios that might make up that suspicious transaction list. And, um, and, and at that point, we kind of intervene. But it goes to FinTrack, which isn't necessarily, you know, the governing CRA or the Canadian Revenue Agency, um, which is like the tax collector uh, here in Canada. So um, the fact that there's that kind of differentiation is, is super important. But ultimately, um, yeah, I think that, that, you know, at the end of the day, you have to be hyper aware of where your info is going. And, and, you know, as a user, you should make an informed decision around, like, what info do you want out there? So, I appreciate you answering that question. I had another thing pop up in my head. Um, we just talked about how, and this was not a planned question, I promise you. So, so ride with me here. Um, you say in order to use your cash machine, the Bitcoin Solutions cash uh, ATM machine. Make sure I am I saying that right? Bitcoin yeah, the Bitcoin Solutions ATM or, or or machine is fine or whatever. Yeah, I want to make sure I you know say it right. Um, 100%. I have to use cash to do it. So 
we're heading, and this is going to lead me into our next topics, but we're heading towards a cashless society, right? This is where we are going there. You see it in China right now with the digital yuan. You see them quarantining cash because it's got the name that's, you know, the, the, the party flu, whatever they want to call it, right? Um, so how are you seeing your outlook of your business if we go to a cashless society? Not, I don't know, I'm sure you've thought of it. You're an intelligent man, I can tell. So what do you just, I didn't explain to ask that question, but now that I've asked it, I'm curious. Um, cashless society, how do you continue? Yeah, so I think that, um, you know, cashless means money is sitting digitally somewhere. And, and, and so ultimately, um, that's why we were very excited about regulations because traditionally Bitcoin companies have had a hard time getting bank accounts. And if you don't have a bank account, uh, it's very difficult to accept anything other than cash. <laughs> so we're very lucky because, you know, we are, uh, we've been around, like we're a seven-year-old company in a seven-year-old space. We're, we're kind of an old dog in this game now. And so uh, we have these relationships and we, we're very lucky to have great partners, um, financial partners to be able to kind of help us out with the payment processing and stuff. So we do have an online platform. You can buy and sell Bitcoin uh, through like a voucher system, through an Interac uh, system. Interac is our is like a kind of a payment processor up here, uh, payment con conglomerate owned by a few of the banks. Um, and then we're working with some partners to be able to accept credit cards and stuff with some very very stringent uh, information needs just for you know to protect ourselves against fraud, which is what I noted earlier. Um, but I don't think that we are going to move away from cash like that quickly that it, it, it will affect our business. Um, I really do believe that uh, the need for cash is greatly outweighing the government's ability to kind of get rid of cash. And I think that um, the government probably notes that. And I think that they realize that um, a cashless society is beneficial for the government, but not for each individual, um, uh, you know, individual, I guess, citizen. And, and so I'd like to think that, you know, our cash and our ability to accept cash won't change, but if it does, I'm pretty confident there'll be other payment method, methods available, whether it be a plethora of voucher systems, this other digital cash or this digital method or whatever it looks like. Uh, but like I noted, you know, ultimately we're an onboarding platform to users to get Bitcoin safely and, and quickly. And so, um, you know, once they're on board and they have Bitcoin, we don't want to intervene in their, you know, trading it back and forth. And, and so we're doing some, some pretty cool things, you know, introducing some payment processor um, kind of type technology to be able to enable people to kind of gain Bitcoin for every day, whether they're at the farmer's market or whether they're painting someone's house or what, or what have you. And so um, I don't think that buying Bitcoin is the only way to acquire Bitcoin. I think that we could probably trade our time and our and our knowledge um, in order to kind of acquire Bitcoin. Good. That leads me right into the night. You handled that very yeah, well, by I the way. Crushing this today. <laughs> crushed it. I was like, I wonder how he's going to answer this. Um, all right. So let's dive into the deep uh, here and let's talk about Bitcoin. Right. So Satoshi's white paper. We know peer to peer payment system. Not a, I don't think it says in there about replacing the banks. Um, uh, maybe it does, but I never saw it about replacing the whole government structure. It's more about a peer-to-peer -peer payment system. And now we're hearing this store of value talk, right? And so 
what I get and what I think a lot of my followers get is how, how is Bitcoin peer-to-peer -peer payment if everyone's hodling it, right? You know, for the long term, therefore we're not using it. However, your business model is based on people spending and buying Bitcoin and paying things. So when I hear that, I think Bitcoin Cash and then I think DeFi space. So before we dive into the hard questions about Bitcoin and put you on the hot seat, how do you see, do you see Bitcoin doing what it's actually created to do right now? Or are we going away from a different thing? Yeah, I think that, you know, it's interesting you say that. So while there's no direct mention of in, in the white paper of it being to uh, kind of, you know, overthrow the banks or be the storage of wealth, I think it's kind of implied in the way that it's deflationary. And, and it was, it was very, very, very um, intentional the way that Satoshi kind of had the, the having happen um, every so often. The fact that it was kind of a steep introduction that kind of tapers off uh, towards, towards the introduction into the, into the ecosystem. And so um, that's the reason, you know, if you think about it, Bitcoin is like the purest and most beautiful form of supply and demand economics. I mean, supply goes down and demand stays the same, price goes up. Supply goes down and demand increases, you know, price goes up, supply goes down and demand goes down, it just stays flat. So really, like, by design, it really was a really, really, it really is a really, really good storage of, of value. Um, in terms of the, of the peer to peer network, I think what Satoshi was solving was this inclusive versus exclusive monetary system. Right now, the banking system, our, our existing payments platform is exclusive. Somebody can tell you whether you can or cannot participate, right? If you don't have an address, you can't get a bank account, right? So, so already there's, you know, a percentage of the population that is ineligible for a bank account, which is like a huge problem because guess what you can't get? Uh, you can't get paid without a bank account. <laughs> so if you don't have an address, how are you going to make the money to pay for that address if you can't get the bank account? Um, so, you know, Satoshi solved that and saying, hey, you know what? This is an inclusive payment network. You do not need my permission to gain access. All you need is the ability to save and record your private key. And that's it. And that's all you really need. So that's kind of where the peer-to-peer -peer method came from. You know, whether or not Bitcoin was designed uh, for these kind of like instant purchases like we see with, uh, you know, coffee shops and, and well, hey, pizza parlors, like, like, like the first transaction was. We celebrated 10 years just a, a few months ago. Um, I think that that that's kind of almost irrelevant because peer-to-peer, -peer, what it means is the ability to transfer value from me to you without a third party. There's no need for a third party to get involved. You and I don't have to trust that anyone else is going to do their job. I can just zap you, you know, this value and you're going to receive it hard stop because we both trust the math and because we both trust the blockchain. And so the argument that Bitcoin is not a payment network um, depending on, you know, it really depends on your definition of what a payment network is, because that being said, like it or not, I can still go and buy my coffee with Bitcoin if I want to. Um, I can still go and pay for like lots of our customers at the ATMs are purchasing, uh, video game skins, right? And lots of these video game companies in an exclusive banking environment, um, the banks have told them, the credit card companies have told them, you know what, we're not really stoked on your business right now. So we're not going to allow you to accept this payment method. So what do they do? They turn to Bitcoin. And that's, again, it's peer-to-peer. -peer. So, you know, I definitely hear what you're saying about finality taking longer with, with Bitcoin. Um, but 
I don't really think that's a problem for Bitcoin. Okay, cool. You answered that. Man, you're killing it. So now I got a question. My next section in my mind is, the question is, is Bitcoin in trouble? So why do I put that? So the point of finance 1.0 is money go burr. I'm sure you've seen that meme, right? I love that meme, man. Right? <laughs> right? Now we're seeing that kind of in this space right now with Tether and uh, Bitfinex, for instance, right? Those are, those are, those are happening. DeFi space now, people are finding that uh, loophole where they can borrow money on money on money. If you're techie, you can really remargin this space. So now that we've got Finance 1.0, so CME Group, um, uh, JP Morgan, Wells Fargo, all the big players are now buying Bitcoin futures, Ethereum futures. They're buying paper Bitcoin. Grayscale has bought more Bitcoin now than is being mined, right? And then also 51% of the mining is being done in China, not to mention some of the uh, Eastern European countries where electricity is a little cheaper. Hash rate is kind of being controlled. America is now in the number two spot, but China is still one, right? There are some issues coming here with uh, becoming centralized in a non-centralized form, as in miners are controlling the network right now. So my question is, when I look at all these things, and I, you know, again, the Satoshi paper, white paper doesn't say this, but the Bitcoin people say this, right? How can I be comfortable if I own Bitcoin seeing, wait, hold on, China runs 51% of it. Now all the big guys are just printing money and buying it up and being able to manipulate, you know, anyone who, who trades, I day trade as well. And if I day trade on a certain exchange, I'm looking for the stop hunt. I'm looking, they're coming after my liquidation and I know it like, so that, that's clear manipulation on a high level that, you know, you're probably a well, cause you've been in it for a while. Right. But someone who's getting in it right now, that's not just holding, but you know, we know 95% of traders fail anyway, but in the sense of that, Am I looking at this as, man, should I be putting my money somewhere else? Not financial advice, right? But should I, should this scare me as a Bitcoin holder that Bitcoin is no longer on that, in my control in a sense, it's in the powers that be, countries, financialist institutions, banking, exchanges. This is where the power of Bitcoin is now. So should I be afraid or what is your take on that? Yeah, I think that um, Bitcoin is probably still decentralized enough that while there is a large presence for miners in China, it is not necessarily China doing the mining. And so um, I think that's, a, that's an important differentiation that we have to keep in mind. And I, and I think too that just by design, there are enough people and there are enough uh, miners out there that, that are incentivized for Bitcoin to succeed, right? Uh, owning 51% of something that has no value is a lot worse than owning 49% of something that has tremendous value. And so the miners are incentivized to make sure that Bitcoin stays true to its protocols and, and, and to its, uh, to its you know, initial design. Um, I think that ultimately the way that the decentralization of the blockchain works is extremely important and it will kind of maintain its integrity just because, like I said, you know, there's this constant battle to get more hash rate and more power. And, and as long as there's competition, as long as there's a free market, will we'll succeed. And Bitcoin, you know, it's the most beautiful form of supply and demand economics, which by default is the most beautiful form of a free and open market. And yes, free and open markets can be manipulated. And yes, um, there are negatives to go with a free and open market, but 
the alternative is a closed market, which is like you've been calling finance 1.0, this exclusive system that probably doesn't really work in the 21st century anymore. I'm going to find something that trips you up. I promise. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. So I, I had a friend of mine, Diana on recently. She, she's got her master's at, at Yale in blockchain. Uh, she helped write up our three quarters research paper, worked with the world bank, uh, worked on stable coin initiatives, doing some of the regulatory clarity for Cyprus and the EU. And so I asked her about stable coins and where we see this going. And I got a lot of comments where people ask me, do they think stable coins and CBDCs, will that ruin cryptocurrency? And so Bala wasn't really, I don't think, in the position to answer that as an exchange. So I didn't ask him that question. But maybe just not saying this is your expertise area, just what do you think? Do you think us moving to CBDCs, you know, because China's whole point is to, to get rid of Bitcoin. We hear the rumor, Trump, the war on Bitcoin, right? Whatever, we, we don't know what's true, what not true, right? But <laughs> Is this is the CBDC area a danger for uh, decentralized cryptocurrencies? I mean, stable coins, uh, like especially on the ERC twenty network, aren't really that decentralized. Like at the end of the day, Ethereum kind of holds the keys, right? They kind of do what they want. Vitalik is like playing puppet master, and and he kind of chooses what happens with Ethereum. So it's not really truly decentralized. Um, I would also argue like we kind of already have stable coins. Like, I don't know if you've ever used Venmo, but that's basically a digital currency in and of itself, right? Up here, we have the Interac e-transfer system and it's already even a wire transfer. Like, like I think you noted, I don't think we were recording, but like the Swift network is a messaging platform, not a payments platform. So we kind of already have a digital, a digital currency. Um, you know, I would argue stable coins, give the illusion of decentralization and some that are done properly are done certainly uh, with a decentralized nature. Um, but ultimately like stable coins are going back to an unstable currency. So I'm not really sure if that's what we want ultimately, right? Like you look at, I mean, up here, like I'm from Alberta up here in Canada and, and, and we're, we're just energy, right? Our whole industry forever has been, has been energy, 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 which has been like the safe play, you know, go get your power engineering degree. You're guaranteed 200 grand a year coming out of school. Like it's just like, go do it. And now we're seeing these incredibly volatile swings where uh, my Bitcoin company has, you know, been growing and, and we've been very lucky to be growing through this difficult time. And like all of my friends or not all of them, but lots of my friends who I talk to that are in the energy sector are getting laid off. So I'm kind of wondering to myself, is what we traditionally find stable, actually stable? And if it's not, you know, what are we comparing it to, right? If I want a stable coin backed against the Canadian dollar, um, hopefully the Canadian dollar is stable. But I mean, we've been bouncing around between like right now, I think it cost me a buck 40 to buy one US dollar. Uh, 10 years ago, it was basically par. So, yeah, you know, if you think about that, the Canadian dollar has lost 40% of its value against the U.S. dollar. That's not stable, man. That is like, that's the opposite. Bitcoin's better than that, bro. Like, <laughs> so, so I, you know, stable coins are aptly named and, and it's because everyone kind of is probably tracking their gains and losses in U.S. dollar. Um, but, you know, you could argue that Bitcoin's not really increasing in value. We're just seeing everything else decrease in value. When you change that perception, you realize that uh, stable coins probably aren't that stable.
Absolutely. And it's funny because you're talking about Canada losing its value. And all I'm thinking is, well, since 1971, since we came off the gold standard in America, we've lost 85% of our value. And, and we're just printing trillions of dollars a week now. And it's just insane. And so I know the IMF is stepping in with SDR and special drawing rights. And so we're going to dive a little deeper down the rabbit hole. Put your tin hat on for a second, okay? <laughs> the special drawing rights, a lot of people in the cryptocurrency community that are not Bitcoin maximalists, let me point this out, leads us to the number three or four, depends on if you include Tether or not, the, the number four cryptocurrency uh, or the banker's coin, XRP, right? Saying it's a possible global reserve currency, moving all the money, the derivatives, and we know, and if you're educated about um, the system in general, you know RippleNet's kind of a lot of things right now. Their distributed ledger technology is everywhere. So without putting you on the spot and making you choose a side, how about this? Why don't you, what do you know about Ripple? What do you think about the XRP distributed ledger technology? What do you just see as a, as a person who's made their, their wealth on Bitcoin, right? Now you got this new player that, you know, Brad Garland house is like, I, he owns Bitcoin. He loves Bitcoin. He thinks they both can make it. So what do you think about when you hear as a Bitcoin guy, XRP or Ripple? Yeah, I think that, um, XRP is kind of useless because you don't really need XRP to, to work Ripple. Um, it's, it's almost kind of like, you know, Ripple is probably a big advancement over Swift. Um, I'm not sure why they needed a token to do it. And I'm not sure why the token's really necessary. Um, you know, me kind of sitting here wondering about it, you, you know, it, it kind of makes you think, why, why not just use Bitcoin? Why not just have Bitcoin be the, the underlying settlement layer? Um, and ultimately it's because they had an incentive to make XRP. And anytime anyone has an incentive to make XRP or to make a token, you have to kind of think about, you know, what else can they manipulate? And, and, and you know, the guys at Ripple are, are sharp dudes and they've been able to appeal to the masses of the banking industry with something that traditionally the crypto market has kind of failed at. So I commend them for that. And like I said, I think that Ripple is a significant improvement over like the dinosaur platform that we have uh, in Swift. But I would question their uh, values and I would question their uh, motive behind creating kind of XRP and having a token that's not wildly necessary that they also control at the end of the day. Cool. So I will not go into a teach you about XRP time. We'll save that for another conversation. I like that. <laughs> I'll just I'll just tell you this: the the for viewers that are watching, the main goal for XRP and Ripple is not just to move money; it's to move to tokenize assets. And I think that's the different ballpark. Um, that's why I think Brad Garlinghouse will say he owns Bitcoin, right? And I think Bitcoin has its use case. It was first. Um, it's said to be created in 2009, right? And we will go down that, but. It's that aspect. And I wanted to get your turn because you hear, and you said what I expect you to say is, a, I'm going to call you a Bitcoin maximist, maximist, if that's okay. And that's what I hear. So I just wanted to ask you that question. I'll let people in the comments write whatever they're going to write and, and see what we do. And if there's more questions and people agree with you, maybe they don't. Because I can make the argument for both. I could look at it. If I look at it, I say, you know, Ripple with RippleNet's technology, could they use it? Because then I think of Stellar, right? And Jeb McHale right, who used to run Mt. Gox, right, and he sold it to Japan, and now he's got XLM to try to do the same thing, or Hedera Hashgraph, which is Google, IBM, I don't know if you're familiar with Hedera Hashgraph, you are, okay, distributed ledger technology too, so you're seeing this aspect, and, and in America anyway, 
when they're talking about moving to the digital dollar, they're talking about running the digital dollar on distributed ledger technology. And so we go, we hear China say it's not Bitcoin because we can't track everybody. We hear the states say it's not Bitcoin because we can't track you. So I got to ask you this. If the governments, and I asked, I've asked, I didn't ask Bilal this, but I'm going to ask you this, right? If the governments don't want Bitcoin and they're saying it out loud as far as we can't track you, where do you see this going? Do you think it's going to be, you know, Chaz in Seattle, Washington right now? We're going to call that Bitcoin where we're just going to block off the government? Or do you see it really being able to work once the government goes digital? That's a great question, I think. I think, um, you know, I kind of want to, uh, jump quickly on your point around, you know, both of them can work. And, and like me personally, I do think that Bitcoin is the best uh, use for your money. I think it is the best storage of wealth, but I also believe in a, in an inclusive and free and open market. So um, I think that is great. And that's that, that type of market and that, that environment has given Ripple and, and Ripple Net Labs the ability to kind of tout their platform. So I think that's fantastic. Um, first of all, uh, to your point around the government, like they said the same thing about the internet in 1980, whatever it was. Um, and then again in 2000, and then we're having it right now again with social media. And I think that ultimately the government will try to control what they can to do what it believes is the, is their job, which is keep the citizens safe. And I, and I think that, um, there's virtually no way to prevent Bitcoin. And anytime I hear like, well, you can't be tracked. It's like, well, you, you can, you just have to like do some work and figure out how to do it. Uh, you know, the Bitcoin's blockchain is incredibly traceable. I can, I can find where coins went and came from at any given time. Now that there's these, these tracing apps, especially you can see, you know, are they coming out of Coinbase? Are they coming out of, uh, you know, previously Mount Gox or Gemini or, or whatever. So um, ultimately they do have the ability to trace it. I think that the fact that other coins are more traceable and the government like more, it's because they're centralized. It's because they go against the original intent behind crypto and behind Bitcoin, which, I mean, you can say what you want about that, but, but ultimately uh, I believe in a free open, inclusive market, which doesn't have a lot of room for centralization. Okay. So before I move on, I got two more questions for you. Okay. First, I want to make, I just want to see how you react to this. So you said kind of like the internet in 1970, 1980, 1996, right? Uh, internet in 2000, but it's understood maybe, you know, if, if you're a researcher that the government created the internet, right? In a sense, like really deep down they have, just like they created cell phones, everything before we got to it. So if I took that, would it be a stretch to say, since we don't know who created Bitcoin, could it be a government entity or a group of governments that actually created Bitcoin? I mean, that's putting a lot of weight. You don't have to, you don't, you don't have to. No, 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 no. <laughs> no, 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 no man. I think, I think that that's giving the government a lot of credit. <laughs> and, uh, and, and I'm going to, that's where I'm going to cap my response. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. I did. I just wanted to put that out there and I didn't even expect you to respond. Okay. Two. Okay. So two questions left. They're giving them a lot of credit. I like that one. Um, so where do you see this space uh, by 2030? You know, the world on a world stage, right? We got a lot of things. Uh, uh, what is it? 
United Nations, all of our bigger governmental entities have some plans by 2020. Agenda 2030, Agenda 21, mass global adoption, this, even XRP is wanting to be everywhere by 2030. We keep seeing these dates come up. So it's a good question to ask. Bitcoin will be uh, able to drink legally at 21 by that time, right? So where do you see Bitcoin by 2030 or just this space in general by 2030? Yeah, I think the space uh, is going to look really, really nice in 2030. I think that people will understand it. It's going to very, it's going to look a lot like what the internet space looks like today. I think that ultimately uh, we're going to have to go through some growing pains, much like the dot com bubble, much like the big crash of 2018. Um, and I think that's going to be important because it's going to shake out those that are in it for the money and not in it for the progress. And 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 ultimately, I mean, our world is very, very bordered right now, right? You and I have a harder time doing business than Bilal and I, even though, you know, 300 miles and 3,000 miles shouldn't make a difference. It should be the same. But because there's this artificial border, this, this monetary border of the U.S. financial system and the Canadian financial system, we live in a bordered society. And Bitcoin can and does erase those borders and so i think and i hope that our world becomes a lot more borderless i hope that international trade becomes a lot easier i hope that we use and facilitate the blockchain technology to be able to protect ourselves more and a, you know a simple example of that is is you and i uh you had to figure out who i was before coming on here i'm not going to start touting some gnarly stuff or or, or whatever uh and so you do that by a general conversation, it's gut feel. But if I come on here and I just totally flip the script on you, uh, I mean, you're, we're not live, so you can kind of choose to, to, to figure that out. But, you know, what if there was a platform that kind of had my entire data linked up in a blockchain, in a, in a verified database, and you could kind of just say like, hey, I want to find everyone that is this criteria, that criteria, and has this characteristic, and then go and the blockchain was smart enough to kind of differentiate who's what. I think that's a, like, that'd be great. Same thing with like our data, right? When you go apply for a mortgage, you got to say like, do you have a job? How much money do you make? Are you married? Do you own a house right now? A second house, whatever. What are your assets? Which is very intrusive, right? I got to go ahead and, and like, you know, now if you live in a small town, it's like your ex-girlfriend's mom is, is, is looking at, at your financial history and it's like, yeah, you're kind of squirmy. But what if it was just a pass fail? What if it was like, okay, to get this mortgage, you got to make 60 grand a year. You got to have had a job for the last six months and you got to have regular income, right? And it's just pass fail. The blockchain could go in without giving up that data. You could say like, oh yeah, it does, it does, it does. Check, check, check. Okay, thank you very much. You're approved. Now take it one step further. It can happen online and instantly. And then sec one more step further. Why not? Why doesn't that just, why doesn't that just get credited straight to your account? So I think that the blockchain allows us for a lot more privacy and control over our data while at the same time enabling probably a better life and a better future for us and our kids. So, okay. Half of extra question. You, you, you what I just heard you describe in a sense was the ID 2020 initiative. Um, are you familiar with it? Not overly, but I've, I, I have heard about it. Okay. So I won't dive into it, but that's just for, for the people in my group that put the tin hat on, we've got a new uh, new creation cronies group. We put the tin hat on and speculate. When you're in the cryptocurrencies group, you you got to speculate anyway. So before I jump into to ask about Jesus, right? Um, Pass-fail question, okay? Are there any other cryptocurrencies that pass the test for you? 
Um, certainly there could be, but none that do anything different than Bitcoin. And, and that's kind of my, my gold standard, I guess. It's my home base. I mean, um, you know, why duplicate? Why, why are we doing all the same work? Like Litecoin, for example, it has all the same principles as Bitcoin, right? Arguably, uh, it, it is the same. It, it is the silver to Bitcoin's gold, whatever. Uh, but, you know, it was able to be manipulated by its public figure, by Charlie Lee. When Charlie Lee sold his, sold his Litecoin, what happened? It did because it was not really centralized. It was just inherently centralized. It was just perceptionally centralized. And so like, you know, that's, and that's one example. And that was an easy softball for me to kind of throw up at myself and knock it. But ultimately I think we'd be hard pressed to find something with the true, like, uh, you know, properties of Bitcoin that are, that is as uh, beneficial that don't do the same things as Bitcoin. Blockchain is not being used right now for anything other than money. Bitcoin, in my opinion, handles the money side extraordinarily well. I think that if we put the same amount of time and money and research into a blockchain that handle our food safety, how about our skincare safety? Like what kind of, what, what are we, what are we putting on our children with, in, that's in the sunscreen and the bug spray, what have you? Um, that would be better. The problem is there's no money in that. And it's a lot harder for, bad actors and good actors alike to profit off of it. So, you know, it really has to come from a place of, of desire to change and to, and to change the world, um, which without financial gain, there's less and less people kind of willing to do that. So that's probably a bit of a different avenue than uh, what the question was, in, was designed to kind of bring out of me, but that's kind of my opinion. That's okay. It was a pass fail and you answered so that I'm, I'm good there. I figured you'd say nothing fits the bar. And that's kind of what you said, but you gave an explanation, which is what we want, right? Versus this is how I feel. That's it. That's all we're looking for is, you know, backing up how you feel, which is perfect. So speaking of totally. feeling, um, you and I are on the same picture and you kind of talked to me about um, uh, an initiative that you were a part of. You were going to send me uh, that Jesus, Jesus Christ loves porn stars, right? We were talking about that initiative, but I, and I look forward to getting that book and guys, I'll definitely go through that with you guys on a live stream. I do a live stream called Christ in Crypto uh, cool. on Monday nights, Thursday nights, and Friday mornings where we do it. I end every single podcast of mine with scripture. And then on Saturday, the Sabbath, and then Sunday, I actually do a sermon podcast. So on the weekend, it's only that. So this is very focused on this area. And so um, not to put you on the spot here, um, if, if you got to take your Bible out, you can. Why don't you, because I share my favorite Bible verses consistently. Do you have one that pops up that might be one of your favorites or something that maybe led you to the gospel or something maybe you want to share about why you are a believer? I'll give you all those avenues to choose one from. And this is my last question, and I think it's the most important. Um, tell us something about your belief system as far as either scriptural uh, testimony about Christ or how you believe Christ is doing work in your life now? Yeah, man, that's a, that's a great question. Um, so I've been like, I was brought to church uh, at a young age, I think 10 or 12. I started kind of getting connected in with my youth group. And so developed some great relationships. And I think there's like the classic Bible verses that you remember, right? John three sixteen, um, speaking about love, speaking about sacrifice, which is, which is fantastic. Uh, my wife and I on our honeymoon, we were uh, traveling to Ireland. Uh, this is seven years ago now. And we got a, uh, a symbol, uh, the Hebrew symbol, he tattooed on our ribs. And um, that's from uh, the Psalm, Psalm one. 
56, I believe, somewhere around there. And uh, what it speaks about is, um, you know, no possessions greater than the creator, greater than God. And, and, and so that um, is, a, is a nice reminder, I think, that, um, you know, putting focus and putting perception in play. But my favorite kind of parable, my favorite story out of the Bible uh, is probably that of um, when Jesus has needs three workers and, and the first guy comes to him like right in the morning and, and Jesus is like, yeah, I'm going to give you like whatever it is, two bucks to do this day's work. And then homeboy comes at lunch and he's like, yeah, I'm going to give you two bucks to do the half day's work. And then one guy comes like one hour before quitting time and just like, yeah, here's, here's, here's two bucks. And then the first guy's like all upset. And he's like, why? Like you were upset, but I told you what you're going to get and you were happy with it. Like, and that's just like, it's so true in our life, man. Like, like we're all about comparing ourselves to people and like the grass is always greener on the other side. And that's like such an unhealthy way to live. And I, so I think that like that parable and that story, um, it really, really symbolizes for me what life is supposed to be, which is just kind of staying in your, in your lane and, 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 and being perceptionally happy, uh, not compared to anyone else, but making sure that like you are looking after, uh, yourself and not like in the, like the egotistical vain way, but more in the way of like, Oh, that guy's got a Mercedes and I got a, you know, a bicycle. He's obviously way better than I am. I said, no, no, no. Because you were probably super, super excited with that bicycle when you bought it. Um, I remember like when I was nine or 10, so like, you know, you're too young to have any, well, not too young, but you don't have the real mature conception of what faith is at that point. I bought this, uh, I had a paper route, of course, like every young kid does. And I went and bought this like Game Boy and the Game Boy Mini. I couldn't afford the Game Boy Color. I bought the Game Boy Mini and I bought it. Man, I was stoked. Like just so excited. I got the Pokemon Red game with the, the green Game Boy Mini. Uh, was just so excited. And then my neighbor for Christmas, he got the Game Boy Color. And I was like, oh man, like his is so much better. Like, you know, oh, this is garbage now. Look at this piece of green garbage. Just throw it in the road. Um, but, you know, that it made me feel really sad about myself, which I went from feeling so proud having worked for it and then, and then bought it myself to feeling sad about it all because of this like comparison game, which is just brutal. And so nothing really good comes out of that. And that's something that I really think that if as a society, as the human race, we quit looking at others to prop ourselves up or make ourselves feel bad, ultimately we'd be a lot better off. I think that is the perfect way to end this interview. When we close out for real, um, which will be after, I'll give all your, your, your Twitter, your information and all that there. But I think as for now, I think that's the perfect way to close this, man. It's been a pleasure um, interviewing you. It's been a pleasure getting to know you. I think uh, I am blessed now just to see that a man in your position has not lost track of where he comes from and his faith which is more important. We don't have to agree on cryptocurrency. Most of this world doesn't agree on the same thing, but we agree, we agree on uh, eternal life and where it comes from. And to me, it's just been an absolute pleasure. So thank you very much, Adam. I appreciate having you on today. Amazing. Thanks so much, man. Looking forward to chatting again soon. Awesome. Thank you. Awesome. So I hope you guys really, really enjoyed that video. I enjoyed my time with Mr. Adam O'Brien of Bitcoin Solutions. He is an amazing guy. 
he he took on the tough questions and that I appreciate but most importantly I appreciate that he is a brother in Christ so before I go today I want to make sure guys that I remind you real quick that we have a Christ in crypto live stream tonight talking about cash society and banning cash and what is going around around the world right now that's what we will be focusing on. Hey, everybody, what is going on? This is your boy, Christian Israel, and you are... Oops, oops, oops. I did not mean to do that. I just hit the play button on the video again. So here we go. All right. So now let me read the scripture to you real quick. This is from James chapter 1, verse 2. It goes like this. Consider it all pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. If any of you lacks wisdom and ask God who gives generously to all without finding fault, it will be given to you. But when you ask, you must believe and not doubt because the one who doubts is like a wave of the sea blown and tossed by the wind. That person should not expect to receive anything from the Lord. Such a person is double-minded and, un and unstable in all they do. So I hope you guys had a wonderful day. Make sure you know that whenever you ask anything of the Lord, He will give things to you if you ask without doubting and with full belief. Again, thank you so much to Adam O'Brien of Bitcoin Solutions. I truly appreciate you. And this is the end of episode 82. If you don't follow me yet on New Creation Cap, I truly, truly appreciate if you do on Twitter. Also, if you like this video, like and subscribe, comment in the section. Let me know what questions you might have for Adam. Do you agree with what he said? Do you disagree with what he said? Do you like Bitcoin? And everything that we talk about, hit it up in the description and let me know what you think, okay? I hope you guys are having a good day. You can see right now Bitcoin is pumping. The whole market is pumping. And I'm your boy, Christian Israel, and you are tuned into the New Creation Capital Podcast. This is a place where we discuss what happens in the world today, the stock market, and yes, digital assets. Where we go one, we go all. This is not financial advice, but I love to say to you guys, make sure you buy low and sell high. The bull market is coming. It's coming. It's coming. This is a new you, a new future, and a new creation, guys. Until next time, guys, like I said, end of episode 82. I can't wait to see you tomorrow or tonight for the live stream. Peace and love. God bless you all. Later, guys.